Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Genesis 3.7-10, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. I I picked the most verses with the word naked in there because it gets awkward, right? Um, (laughs) Faith had to read it. I feel bad for her. Uh, So there was this article published in the Atlantic magazine. I don't know when it was. It was a while back ago. But it had some pretty provocative pictures about how we as a society are more connected than ever, yet at the same time we are most, we are absolutely disconnected from each other. And there was uh, uh, some photos, Eric Pinkersall is his name, he's the one who did the, the photo essay. You can Google it on if you want to read the article. But I grabbed some pictures and Dave's going to put them up there. Uh, and Well the first one is this and And what you see is these two people doing their normal thing, but you notice what they're also doing. They're looking down at devices that aren't there. What's the next one we have, Dave? So it's a group of women looking like they're having a party. They're connected, but are they connected? Next one. How many couples do this? It's okay. Don't have to raise your hand. I do. Uh, It's... This is some of our marriages nowadays. We're connected, but we are so severely disconnected. What's next? Family dinners. No one's really paying attention. We're connected, but we are so disconnected. Dave, how many more of these do we have? So what he did is he took these pictures of normal life of people First of all, if I did that as a kid, my dad would tell me to get outside so fast. (laughs) These normal lives of people, like what gets me about this one is, hold on this one, is that kid's all by himself. No one's paying attention to him. Totally disconnected. He's got an ax. I mean, I would, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We know why he has an ax, right? No one's paying any attention to him. Look out. But we're so distracted We live in a world nowadays that is so entirely connected, yet at the same time we are so disjointed and fractured that we have no idea what's going on with the person next to us. Carrie and I, we're we're in the middle of a three-day marriage conference and we're learning about intimacy. And we're learning all the ways that we have fallen into this idea of being connected, yet at the same time being so far away from each other. We're sitting next to each other on the couch watching the World Series, but I'm having a conversation with my buddy in Chicago, and she's having a conversation with her friend in Southern California. We are together in the same room, but we are separated. We live our lives in the midst of this separation. We want to be connected. We crave human intimacy but we are so far broken in it. 
It's important to look at this. When you think of intimacy, instantly we start thinking about sex, right? Because that's the way our culture thinks. Intimacy equals sex. But intimacy is sex, but it's a lot more than just sex. Intimacy is connection. Intimacy means I can, you can see me for who I am. I don't have to hide anymore. We were created for connection. We crave it. And we think we have it when we sign on to our, our devices. We think we have it when we log into Facebook and we keep up with our high school friends or our high school sweethearts or whoever. We think that we're more connected than ever, but then we see pictures like this and we couldn't be more fractured. We were created for connection. We were created for intimacy. We were created for one another. That's, how, that's what, when God created Adam. He creates him out of the dust of the ground. He puts him in the garden. He says, take care of this place. Till it, subdue it, which meant to like garden it, make it grow, make it thrive. He said, don't eat from that. And then he called him good. This is good. Adam, you are good. It's in Genesis 2, 15 through 18. The Lord God put, him, put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And then we notice the, in verse 18, all through creation, the creation narrative, you hear God saying, it was created. God said it. It happened. And then it closes the day with there was evening and the morning. It was good. And then he moves on to the next day. We're going to talk about what evening and morning means next week. But the part we're looking at here is in verse 18. For the past five days, God says, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then Adam is in the garden all by himself. And it is not good. There's something broken there. It's not good for people to be alone because Adam, made in God's image, was made to have a connection with something else. And as God looks around, sees that Adam's by himself, and it's not good. In our lives, there is this innate need for human intimacy. And Adam doesn't have it. And so the story continues in Genesis, and God makes Adam go to sleep. And then the writer talks about how God took a piece of Adam, took his rib, and formed Eve. And then Adam wakes up, and he looks at Eve and says, I guess it was meant to be. We're together. All the other guys around here are animals. It's you and I. And so they're married. That's my bad attempt of a pickup line. But Adam... Adam says about Eve, you are bone of my bone, you are flesh of my flesh, you are a part of me. Adam couldn't live without Eve, Eve couldn't live without Adam, they were created for each other. We look at this and think it's marriage, but it's much more than marriage. We were created for community. We were created to be seen by other people. We were created for relationship. There's a proper relationship happening. The first one we see is between Adam, Eve, and God. There's a community happening there. There's a proper relationship between the three of them. And then from there, there's a proper relationship between God or Adam and Eve, and everything is working in synchronicity, which is a big word to say this early in the morning, but everything is working. Everything's in its proper place. And then something happens Adam and, his, and Eve 
are said to be naked and feeling no shame. It's the proper relationship. We think they're naked, so a lot of people who are comfortable being naked and streaking, they're probably people in here like that. That's no problem to you. Woohoo, we're naked. Let's go for a run. I don't get it. But this is more than simply being naked. This is a different kind of naked. This is physically naked. They didn't have to hide anything. They didn't have malls and supermarkets or gaps back then. So there was no clothes to put on. So yes, they were naked to the appearance. But they were also emotionally, psychologically available to each other. They didn't have to hide their emotions. They didn't have to put up fronts. They didn't have to bite their tongues. They saw each other. Not just their outward appearances, they had the ability to look inside and see the person's soul. That is intimacy. They were completely known and they didn't have any shame. Some of us have relationships like this. Some of us have a a marriage where we are completely known and we feel no shame in our marriage and it doesn't have to always be in marriage. Sometimes we have close friends where we have this sort of intimate relationship with where we can completely expose our emotions, our feelings, our fears and know that it's a safe place where we will not be judged, kicked out or told that we're crazy. We have friendships like that. Those are the valuable friendships that you hold on to. I have a friend like that. His name's Ben. He lives in San Francisco. He's been my friend since junior high. I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at mine. We've been friends for a while. But he's the one that I can call and say, I'm having a hard time, and I know that he'll hear me. He'll see me. He'll say, Brad, I'm with you on this one. He lets me know I'm not alone. It's the type of relationship where I have, I don't have to worry about shame. I don't have to worry about judgment. This is the relationship, type of relationship that we should have in our marriages if you find yourself married, where you can be honest, where you can be open, where you don't have to worry about being found out, where you don't have to worry about, about saying the wrong thing. It's you are completely known and loved in that place. Whether it's your friendship, whether it's your marriage, this is what we were created for. But sadly, when we look at our world today, do we have these relationships abounding? Or do we see something completely different? We live in the disruption. And if we follow the outline that we've been going through with our constant series, we have creation. And then we look at all the ways in which we've been broken in this. And then we find hope. And then we find culmination. There's a disruption that happens. Everything in the garden goes south. We know the story well. We've talked about it for the last six weeks. Sin enters the world. And the first thing that Adam and Eve do, it's in Genesis 3, 7. The eyes of both of them were open and they saw that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This is where you and I come in. This is what you and I are born into. We're born into a world with a condition of disconnection where things were created to be a certain way and they're not that way anymore. We don't feel this way. We feel this disruption. We feel this brokenness. If you're honest with yourself, you feel it down into the core of your being. We're severed. 
we're cut off. We're disconnected in a thousand ways. And if you open your eyes and start paying attention, you can start to see the disconnections everywhere. Our disruption causes shame. And so we hide. Shame causes us to be afraid of what someone might think, what someone might think of our thoughts. And so we don't share our thoughts. Because if we're hindered, we won't sh- when we're hindered from sharing our thoughts, we don't share our hopes We don't share our dreams. We don't share our futures. We fear rejection. And so we, like Adam and Eve, start gathering things to hide ourselves from people. The first break was between humans and they were cut off from each other. The second break was between God and man. In order for true intimacy, there needs to be an intimate relationship with God and persons And then from there flows out intimacy with everybody else. It broke this way, and now it was broken this way. It was severed, it was cut off, and this hiding takes on all sorts of shapes and sizes in our lives. Think about it, sometimes you hide behind success. You hide behind your business card, you hide behind your degree, you hide behind everything that, we've, that you've done that's something to get you attention. And you say, this is who I am, even though you are not your job. You might have done something great, but that's not who you are, but we like to hide behind it. We believe that we'll find intimacy in sex, and so we start giving ourselves away to the very next person who shows any kind of interest. And then we find ourselves even further away from the intimacy that we've so craved. You can go to the red light districts, I don't recommend it, but you go to the red light district where people are gesturing you to come and have sex and they'll say it's only sex. And that tells you that there is something broken in the intimacy that was intended to bring connection between married people And now it's just being passed around like it means nothing. It's disruptive. It's not what we were created for. The sex in those places and sometimes the sex that we find in our culture is completely void of intimacy. It's easy to take off your clothes and have sex. People do it all the time. But to actually sit down across the table from somebody and share your hopes, your spirit, your thoughts, your fears, your dreams, that's being naked. That's being unashamed. That's intimacy. And what we find is that we take this connection or this drive, this innate desire which is good in all of us to be connected and we start trying to find it in different places Yet we fear the connection. We fear the fact of being known. Our dream relationship, if we're honest, the dream relationship is I love you, you love me, we never have to meet. We don't have to talk. Because we fear connection. We fear being deserted. So what do you do if you're afraid of being deserted? You don't commit to anything because you fear that this won't follow through, you're just going to be hurt again, so I'm not going to commit. We fear being known. We we fear being known so we won't sit down with somebody and actually do the hard work of intimacy. We're broken people. We hurt each other. 
We gossip. We fail to forgive. We become severed and cut off from each other. And we cover up and we do not become vulnerable with our spouses, with our friends. And if we keep chasing this down, we fail to become vulnerable with our God. And we live in this disconnection. God comes down to see Adam, and Adam says in this next in Genesis 3, he comes down to see Adam, and Adam says, I was afraid. Uh, this is uh, Genesis 3, 8. He says, I was afraid that you would see me. And, uh, and so the next verse in, in 3.10, he says, so I hid. And we've become very good at hiding. I was great at hiding. Uh, and we used to play this game in our street called Kick the Can. And the best place, and what you would do, I don't know if we were allowed to play after dark in our neighborhood, but there would be a can there. And someone would go looking for you, and, and then if they found you, you'd go to jail, which was by the light pole. And then if the whole, whole point was to come out of hiding, kick the can, and then we can go hiding again. And then the person who's it has to find and rope us all in and so we don't kick the can again. The trick is to find the slowest person and make them it. So, but I fear that we have been so far good at hiding ourselves We've hidden who we are, and sometimes it comes to the point that we've hidden ourselves from ourselves, and when we're honest with ourselves in the dark places of our homes when we're alone and thinking, we don't even feel connected with who we are. We can't even have an intimate relationship with us because we're so good at hiding ourselves. Do you feel this disruption around? We cover it. When Carrie and I were first dating, I, I had this, this fear of being seen. I had this fear of, of actually being known. I had a rough junior high school experience into high school, and then I grew six inches and people left me alone. But I was, I was picked on. And so I had this mechanism that I would pick on myself first, or I would, pick, or I would hide from people. And so I did not want to be vulnerable with anybody and it worked in college, it worked through seminary, and then Carrie and I started dating. And when you start dating someone seriously, you find out the areas in life that you need growth. Uh, and she said, this, this is a problem, and we need to fix it because you avoid the deep stuff. And she was right. I was way more comfortable keeping it surface. I was way more comfortable uh, making a joke. I didn't want to talk about the hard stuff in me. Relationships don't last if you don't go into the deep places, the deep water. It's easy to stay shallow. So Carrie pointed this out. Intimacy is scary because you come out of hiding and you expose yourself. And when you expose yourself in an intimate way with somebody, there's a fear that they might say no but when you have someone who's willing to see who you are and they're willing to show you who they are in a friendship, in a marriage, intimacy makes you come alive. You start seeing these broken places in your life and you realize how broken you are and the fact that there can be life brought into it. It reminds me of the dead places in Ezekiel 35 
the dry bones in all of us that need to be brought back to life, that need this fresh wind brought in. In Ezekiel in 35, sees, in Ezekiel 35, he sees this dry grave and he speaks over it and the wind comes and makes these bones come alive. And I think that that's how a lot of us would be like if we actually allowed ourselves to be seen by the other. And not only that, if we actually allowed ourselves to see ourselves, and if we allowed God to see us and we came out of hiding because in this there is hope. Paul describes this. He describes this kind of life in Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians, Paul is talking about individuals who have been called out. They have been redeemed through Christ. And because they've been redeemed through Christ, they now have a new life. They've been adopted. They have a new family. They have a new identity. And so Paul goes through this uh, progression of what it means to actually be alive. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 18, He's still describing the way things used to be. And he says, they were darkened by their understanding. They were separated from the, from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity and they've given themselves over to, sens- to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Does this sound like our culture? We look for the next hit, we look for the next fix in order to fix the broken place in our lives because we are so disconnected. The word sensitivity there in verse 19 is the word that means to feel pain. The word in front of it means not to. And so we have so conditioned ourselves not to feel any pain, so we become cold, we've moved past feeling. This is the world that we're in. These are those pictures that we showed in the beginning where you're so connected but you don't want to be connected to this person. We live in this paradox. But this is where hope comes. Hope is found in the middle of of our disruption. Hope is found at the end of the story. In Ephesians 4.20, Paul says, but that is, however, not the way that you should, let me start there. that however is not the way of life that you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with him. This, Paul says, is not how you church should be. This disconnection is not what you should live into. You were created for something more. You were created for intimacy. You were created for relationship, Paul continues. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new by the inattitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, created to be like God. God needs relationship. We need relationship we can be brought back into right relationship. That's the hope. We don't have to live disconnected anymore, disconnected with ourselves, disconnected with our God. Hebrews 4 talks about Jesus came, made it possible to approach the throne room of God with confidence. There's no longer a separation there. Romans uh, 10 tells us that we were once enemies and now we have been made friends. 
That's Romans 5, I apologize. But we have been made friends again. There's a relationship that's restored. The picture that's getting is we had ourselves back to back, and it's that picture up front. We were looking at our devices. God comes, Jesus comes, and we can turn around and actually see each other face to face. This is the hope that we don't have to remain in a disconnected state. We can have an intimate relationship with God who finds ourselves, finds us in the middle of our broken places, in those places in which you want to hide, in those places where you are ashamed, in the places where you find yourself wanting more. This is where God finds you. And he says, I love you in spite of all of that. Intimacy with God breeds intimacy with others. And from that relationship, we can have intimacy with ourselves because God begins to put us back together. He puts us back whole again. And then we can have relationships with others. We put on the newness of the new life. And we don't have to live separated anymore. Proper intimacy with others begins with intimacy with God That's where this begins. And Paul gives us some little hints of what it looks like to have intimacy with our friends, have intimacy with our community. In Ephesians 4.25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully with your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. How do we how do we hide? We lie. We make up stories about who we are. We make up stories about what we've done. So why? People will like you. Paul says, if you want to truly have an intimate relationship with the people around you, stop lying. Stop making up stories. Stop lying to your neighbors. Stop lying to yourself. Be who you are. For we're members of one body. Don't lie to your neighbor. In verse 26, he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We heard this when we were in marriage therapy. Uh, and, and right before we got married, we were told that we have to settle all of our arguments before we go to bed. The problem is, I get really tired around nine o'clock. Carrie doesn't get tired till like 11.30. And I have this rule, if I say anything after 10 o'clock, it cannot be held against me, because I know that something bad is going to happen. So Paul's not really saying, well, you can't go to bed till you figure this out because I tell you the truth. If I were to do that, we would be in much worse places in the arguments. My best time is in the morning. I wake up real early. She would kill me if I said, Carrie, we need to talk about our emotions. It's five o'clock, get up. <laughs> Paul's not saying that we can't be angry at each other. What he's saying to us is don't let that anger seep down inside of you because it will kill your intimacy. Deal with it. Don't bury it inside of you. He continues in that verse, because when you do, you'll give the devil a foothold because then there's going to be bitterness. Then you're going to resent, and when you resent somebody, you don't want to have a relationship with them. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. You want an intimate relationship with your friends? Be honest. Don't lie. If they make you mad, Let them know nicely. In your anger, do not sin. Confront. Hey, what you said there, that hurt me. Here's why. 
Those are the beautiful relationships. That's intimacy. That's hard work. In Galatians 6, Paul says, do the hard work of community. It is hard work, but then you'll be able to say, I see you, and I'm sorry, and then your relationship takes a deeper level. He continues, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths. Seems pretty self-explanatory, and don't grieve the spirit. These are ways to have intimacy in your relationships. And in verse 31, get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, uh, especially brawling. That doesn't seem like a way to have a good intimate friendship. Brawling, stop fist fighting. Uh, don't do UFC, I don't know. Don't slander, along with every other form of malice. And here it is, be kind, be compassionate, forgive, just as Christ has forgiven you. We desire these kind of relationships where we are honest, forgiving, connected. Intimacy means that you allow somebody to see you for who you are and you see them for who they are. This is the checklist that Paul gives the, uh, the Ephesian people and he's not done. He says there's a way that we can actually show this in the culmination. This is what we hope for. But then Paul gets even more practical. The connection that we're looking for, these relationships that we're being sought after, it starts real close. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ah, it's the S word, and all the husbands and wives start nodding each other. Submit. We don't like the word Submit. But before Paul starts taking this into the marriage, he starts with the relationship. Submit to one another. All that means is see the other person's viewpoint. Honor them before you honor yourself. Serve one another is another way to put it. Out of reverence for Christ. Paul says model this in your home. And then he goes into the husbands and wives. Mutual submission is what he's saying. It's not top-down dictatorship, you must obey. It's how do I come alongside of you and make you more like God? How do I stoke the fire of Christ within you? Mutually submit to one another. It's not just marriage submission about our relationship. When we have this, it makes us become alive Finally, we allow somebody to see and peer into the depths of our soul. And until we've experienced this, we won't have a true intimacy. We'll feel passed over. We will feel ignored. We will feel like someone is looking through us. Paul says then, model this with your families. Children, obey your parents. Uh, we should have left the kids in here for this. Honor your father and your mother. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction. Intimacy in a family means that you laugh together. It means that you cry together. It means that you disagree with each other and you're still okay with each other. My family, we disagree. I got a brother who's in Texas and he is everything you think of a Texan. We disagree. He calls this the People's Republic of Washington. I call him crazy. And so we go back and forth. We absolutely disagree with each other, but I love my brother. I can disagree with him, and still I can't wait to see him when it comes to the holidays. That's intimacy. I can see his point of view. He can see mine, and though we completely disagree, 
We're fine with it. We laugh as a family. We laugh because laughing brings intimacy. And we cry. We went through a tough year. We cry a lot. But crying shows that raw place, that tender place, where you are able to come alongside of them and say, I see you. I see your hurts. Paul's telling this to the Ephesian community and he uses this idea of family because a community like this is family. Can you imagine what a community like Paul is describing in Ephesus? Can you imagine what that would look like in Seattle? Can you imagine intimacy, real, honest, intimate friendships and marriages? Can you imagine what that would look like to people who are starving for it? Imagine what a gathering group would look like if this was modeled, where, it was, where people were caring for others in need, where you see that person, and you see their hurts, you see fears, and you come alongside of them instead of going, oh, they're talking about hard stuff, I'm gonna go over here. Because that's, that's what we do, right? Someone's crying we want to fix it instead of seeing them. Imagine what a community like you would look like if we modeled for the rest of the world what God's desire was for intimacy. Imagine how connected we would be. It would be different. It would be a breath of fresh air because intimacy is what we're all looking for. It's what we were created for. It's what Jesus modeled for us. He went to us so that we can have relationship with him. Today, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate what Jesus did. We're gonna celebrate that he came to us so that we can have intimacy with God once again. And intimacy with God leads to intimacy with others and then we can be known and accepted. Why? Because God accepts us, and out of that grace, we give that grace to other people. So I'm gonna pray, and then before you come, I'd just like you to take a time and pause. What are the broken places in your life where you're looking for connection? How have you been trying to fill that void in your life? What is the false place where you think you found intimacy, but it just leads you further and further and further and further away? And what's your first step back? Is it admitting to yourself that this isn't working anymore? I'm so disconnected. Is it going to that person and saying, I see you, I ignored you? What's your first step in that? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that through you, through Christ, we can have intimacy. We can have true intimacy, not the fake stuff that we're used to. Lord, through you, we can be seen, we can be known, and we can have that breath of fresh air. Through intimacy, we feel finally like we're truly alive. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you made the first move. 
pray it in Jesus' name.